So um, we are in John 20, if you have your Bible with you today, John 20, verses 1 through 10. And just like another side disclaimer to talk about um, those sheets in the back to help the kids, like I found, uh, I'm, I'm one of these people that like, if there's a fly buzzing around me, or if I'm in a room and somebody's speaking at the front, I'm counting the bricks on the wall. You know, that's, that's who I am. You know, like I, I'm counting bricks on the wall, I'm checking out their sound system, I'm doing everything else until I kind of grab my mind and say, you need to pay attention. And the best way I did that was by writing notes. So, um, you know, I caught on to this when I was in, um, you know, a young adult. And I was like, man, I really need to pay attention, but I, I have trouble paying attention, right? So I started sitting up front, <laughs> and you know, the empty rows here. So I started actually sitting up front so that if my mind started wandering, I, I would think to myself, I'm right up front in front of the pastor, man. I better pay attention, you know? And then I started writing notes. And I still go back to those notes that I wrote 20 years ago, you know, or whatever. And I go back to those notes and I say, wow, Lord, you were speaking to me then. I remember that, you know. So um, John 20, verses 1 through 10. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So if you remember, uh, this is another telling of what happened. So, so it's another witness. And that's what we follow in God's word. We actually are listening to eyewitnesses. John would be one that would say, guys, understand what I'm telling you. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. We were there. In other words, he's saying, we were witnesses to God in the flesh. You and I don't have that ministry. Like, I have never seen Jesus Christ in his flesh. But I do have this beautiful promise that Jesus gives us in his word that says, blessed are those that have not seen and believe. Right? I believe. So, he gives us his Holy Spirit. We know these things. We'll be talking about these things. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to spend a long time in God's, in, in the word today, just so that I know some of you guys have like, you know, a roast dinner in the oven and stuff like that. And I don't want you to go back home when it's burned and be like, that Pastor Dave kept me there for 19 hours. Hey guys, the early church, when they were being persecuted, I was reading like, you know, they have some of their, what they would do. They'd get together on the Sunday. The, the teacher would teach God's word for eight hours. <sighs> Count me out of a job. I'd be like, yo, my, my throat is hoarse after like two hours. I'm, you got, go home. Everybody go home. Go get a cup of coffee. Go home. <laughs> but, you know, they loved and they knew that Christ had risen and what it meant to them. And they knew that they couldn't meet freely like we meet. They knew that was the only time they could see their brethren. They could hug them and say, I believe too. I believe too. 
And it's a beautiful thing. So early on that Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that stone, that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple. And now we know uh, from scholars that the other disciple is John talking about himself. All right. So this is John and he's trying to be kind of humble and not saying that he's in there, that it was him. You know, he, he would refer to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, he's not saying that Jesus didn't love the other disciples. He's stating something that changed him. All right. So when I tell you Jesus loves me and I'm going to heaven, I'm not talking about something that's exclusive to me. But I'm, I'm telling you something that is special to me, right? I'm telling you something that's special to me, something that keeps me going, right? Jesus loves me, and I'm his. Now, I'm not saying that that's not true for you, because if you come to Jesus through faith, Jesus loves you, and you are his. That's beautiful, right? So when John is saying he's the disciple that Jesus loved or he's the other disciple, he's trying to humbly say, as we read it, that something changed him. Something changed him. Because church history would tell us that John would be the disciple that lived the longest, even after being exiled. So there's two conflicting stories. Some say his life ended at, uh, after the, he saw the revelation and they executed him at, at uh, Patmos. But then other tradition tells us that he was actually, um, he outlived the emperor, the Caesar at the time. And when the new Caesar came in said, why do we have this old man on an island? Get him off of there, right? So church history tells us that he was actually brought around and he lived to over a hundred years old. And when he would come to teach, he would say pretty much this. They'd bring him in. They'd be waiting for an eight hour sermon. And this is what he would say. Little children love one another. And that's it. And an one of the church fathers once asked him and said, why is that all you're telling us? And he said, because if you learn to love one another, You've done it all. What's the hardest thing for us to do, right? Love one another. I could love you from a distance, but man, once I get to know you and you stink in your life, then it's a bit harder, right? And once you get to know me and the stink in my life, it's a bit harder, right? But through Jesus, when he fills us with unconditional love, it is possible. And he knows that if we allow him to fill us with his unconditional love through the Holy Spirit, we can do it. We can love people that look nothing like us, don't come from the same background. I mean, look around the room. I'm a kid from New York City. I have very little in common with you guys. You know, I walk around Birmingham, I see little kids yelling things to older men, and I think... I'd never see that in New York City. Do you know why? Because that older man might have a gun. <laughs> I ain't yelling junk. <laughs> Quietly walk by. Make sure you're not seen. <laughs> There's a difference, you know? So when little children on my road yell things to me, I think to, you know, my wife sees my face and she says, it's okay, Dave. <laughs> it's not okay. <laughs> 
but I'll, I'll act like it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, little kids, say those words. It's all right, you know? So, you know, these things, it, the Lord gives us love so that it walks through differences. It walks through everything. So she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. There's two things going on here. One, she doesn't remember what Jesus told them over and over again. Guys, it wasn't a secret. Jesus prophesied his death a number of times to them. Do you guys remember the most famous time when, when Peter, Simon Peter, walks up to him and says, Jesus, shh, don't talk about these things. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Right? Not because, not because Peter was filled with Satan, but because Peter didn't understand the ways of the Lord and he was running with, you know, comforts and saying, hey, listen, you're going to make everybody feel bad if you keep talking about you dying. Okay? So come on, we're trying to be happy here. You're not going along with the plan. You're supposed to take over, you know, military might and take over the Romans and, and knock them out. And then, you know, Jerusalem will be the center of the world, like the Lord said. And Jesus pretty much tells him, now's not the time for that. I'm taking care of a bigger problem. It's a sin problem that separates you from God, right? So she has this wrong assumption. Uh, you know, when things in our lives happen and we can't understand what's going on, we have no idea what God is doing, right? Especially as a Christian. Anybody ever have, you know, you come to Christ. Anybody ever have something bad happen in your life after you've become a Christian? Like, like I'm not talking about your BC years, your before Christ years. I'm talking about your, your after Christ years. Like you're a Christian, you know, raise your hand. You ever had something bad happen to you after you knew Jesus, you gave your life to him and everything like that? It's not bad. It's, it's okay, you know? Hey, guys, you know, Jesus told us it would be like this, right? He told us, hey, guys, in this world, you will have many troubles. But don't worry, because I've overcome this world, right? But he told us, you're going to have many troubles. Jesus didn't promise me a life of ease he promised me a life of victory and conquering. You know what has to happen to have victory? Opposition. You know, if you sit in a utopia eating coconuts all day and uh, somebody comes onto your shores and they say, oh, hey, how, how are you? And you're like, I'm a victorious. How are you victorious? You've been sitting here in ease. You, you've overcome nothing. I am a conqueror. Okay, you're a conqueror. What did you do? I woke up this morning. It's great. I'm glad you woke up this morning. I opened up this coconut. Nobody is going to view you as a conqueror and victorious, okay? You can lie to yourself, but it's only after opposition comes that you can be victorious, that you can be an overcomer, that you can be what the Lord tells us he will make us more than conquerors. Right? So Mary is not understanding what is going on in God's plan. And she's like, hey, listen, something bad is happening. 
they stole Jesus's body and I don't know where they put it or, or they, they moved his body. I don't know what she thought was going on. Maybe they were doing like Sunday cleaning in the tomb and they just moved his body over so they could wipe off the stone. Like what? But she believes that something has happened in the sense of they moved his body. Later on, she would say to who she thought was the gardener, where have you put his body? And the gardener says, Mary, do you not recognize me? And then she says, my God and my king. Right? Sometimes in our lives, God is at work and we think he's the gardener. Sometimes in our lives, heavy things are happening and we're assuming all things are bad, but we forget what Paul tells us in Romans 8, 28, right? That God is working together all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Guys, I've seen some heavy things in my life after I knew Jesus, after I had committed my life fully to him. The day I said to him, I am all yours. Everything of mine is yours. You tell me what to do. You tell me in your word that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. I am righteous through Jesus Christ. Order my steps. And you know what came after that? Really hard times. Really hard times. And the Lord showed me that he was God. That he was king of kings and lord of lords. And that he was ordering my steps. And that he could do it without my help. You know, we're like, we're like uh, these little co-laborers with him when we co-labor with the Lord and, and we're trying to be the, uh, the board of directors for him, telling him what he can and can't do and how he has to do it. And he's going to break our little hearts when he does it his way and not my way. Sometimes he, he dashes our dreams. There have been times in my life where my dreams have been dashed and, and there's dead pieces of it laying everywhere. And I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? And then I just hear him whisper to me as I read his word, just trust me. Sometimes he has to break my little kingdom apart so that he could rebuild it for me the correct way. God allowed it to happen. I've been asked this before. People would say, why would God allow himself to be killed that is losing? But if you read the book of Daniel, in Daniel, when, we, when there's prophecy in there and the angel is telling Daniel what's going to happen in the future, he tells Daniel the exact year that God will walk into Jerusalem and that was Palm Sunday. And then he tells them that the Messiah will die, the chosen one will die, and it will seem as if he had accomplished nothing. It's God's plan all along. Do you know, if you always win, right, which is God, God always wins, 
it is futile to resist him. He always wins. And, and he says, listen, if you want to be my enemy, guess what? You lose. You cannot stop what he is doing. It even tells us like, you know, we've just lived through years, these past years through the pandemic and through, you know, uh, just unrest and, and government unrest and all these different things. And the Lord tells us in Psalm 2 that he doesn't care what the little kings want to do. And he says, unless they bow down to his holy son, and, and the translation says, and kiss his ring, he will become angry at them, and he will snuff them out in the middle of what they were doing. So if we're sitting here scared because of conspiracy theories, guess what? I know the only conspiracy killer, and his name is God Almighty. And he says, you can have your back room meetings. You could do whatever you want. The moment I don't want you around anymore, I snuff you out. And then he finishes that psalm by saying, but all those who trust in him rejoice. For he's your king, right? Rejoice. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They both, they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It's like humble bragging, right? Right? John, right? The other disciple, who I won't name, <laughs> beat Peter there. It was like one time my friend got mad at me because we were playing American football. And uh, he says to me after the game, my friend goes, uh, I can't believe, you know, I scored a touchdown and he goes, I can't believe I didn't catch you. So I turned to him and I said, I can't believe you got so close to me. And he was like, that is so arrogant. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Give me another chance, you know, right? But I said to him, what you said to me was arrogant, <laughs> you know? So I just, you know, touche. <laughs> But it's like a little bit of the humble bragging, right? Well, Peter was running his hardest, but I got there first. Um, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. See, you see, even with the disciples, they were very different personalities, right? So John may have been fast, but he was also somebody that was cautious. Peter, on the other hand, we know he was not cautious, right? He was the one that would yell out his allegiance in front of everybody. He was the one that would try to aim his sword and cut somebody's ear off instead, you know? Uh, nobody else was swinging swords. Peter was. <laughs> but P the Lord used both of them, right? They complemented each other. In our differences in the Lord, we complement each other, right? If we had a whole bunch of me at this church, I wouldn't show up. <laughs> because I need more than me to glorify the Lord, right? We do it together as a body, as a worldwide body, right? So then Simon Peter arrives and he's okay. He goes right in, he goes right into the tomb, right? 
He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. Verse 7, while the cloth that had... While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Guys, understand this. This is the point I want to drive home. And and we're going to talk about a couple of other things, but this is the point I want to drive home. These disciples didn't fully believe yet. They followed Jesus. But where is the power of Christ, right? It is in his death and resurrection. That is the power of Christ. And they were running somewhere and they didn't fully believe. Sometimes our faith is still growing. We don't fully believe everything. But we're still his children. But we have to remember that when we are confused and we don't fully believe, we have to know who we run to. Where were these guys running to, right? When Mary came and said, hey, guys, Jesus' body is gone. So these two guys stand up and they run toward Jesus. They run to the direction of where they saw their Savior last, right? When you are confused, even if your faith isn't fully formed, the right way to run is to Jesus. That's the right way to run. Guys, the things I know about Christ today, I didn't know about Christ when I accepted the Lord. I was only three years old. And I'll tell you something else. You know, these past two weeks, I was talking about reading God's word. And when you read God's word more than four times a week, big things start happening in your lives, right? It's a study that went out. Uh, over 400 people were, 400,000 people were studied between eight and 80. Now, that is awesome. But here's step two. You only get to know the Lord better if you are obedient to what you are reading in God's word. You can know God's word through and through. I know people who know God's word and they can recite it to me, but they'll tell you what, Dave, I wish I was obedient to it. Obedience to God helps us to know him more and more. When he tells us that when hard times come or if somebody wrongs us and he tells us, be obedient and forgive that person with my strength, you can do it right? Be obedient and love that person. Be obedient and, and fill your mind with thoughts that you should have of trustworthy things, noble things, beautiful things, good things, instead of having negative thoughts all the time, right? Obedience. And as I'm obedient to him, from what I read in his word, because I can't be obedient to him if I have no idea what he, what he wants, I get to know the Savior more. So these guys knew something. Their faith wasn't fully formed. It was getting there. But through obedience, they were growing. And it says right there, it snapped to it. In the book of, of Luke, there's this certain part where Jesus ignites them. And it says, then they recalled everything Jesus had said. 
That's awesome. You know what I find really awesome? Is that when I spend my time reading God's word, and when I need his word the most, he ignites my mind, and I'm able to remember what I need to remember. Right? I told you that if you read God's word four or more times a week, that some of the positive things that happen, it's all positive, but some of the things that actually go up is your scripture memorization. And I told you, I, I am horrible at memorizing scripture when it's like an activity that I'm trying to do. I'm horrible at it, right? But I can memorize scripture when the Holy Spirit just recalls it to me because it's already in my heart, because I've read it. Your scripture memorization goes up over 400% if you read God's word four times a week or more. I mean, that's crazy. 400%. But obedience to God's word is the way that we really get to know him. We really get to know him. Even obedience in the things that we don't really like, right? Like pray for your enemies, I'm the type of guy that would rather punch my enemy. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, maybe, maybe you guys aren't as violent as me, right? But at least kick them in the shin, you know? You know, in your mind, you do a lot of things. And we all, we all like to play like we're not violent people. I just, I'm a New Yorker. I speak my violence out, <laughs> you know? Try to get it off my chest. But my mama told me, don't do that too often. <laughs> you know, so, Dave, you know, calm down. Okay, fine. So, so their faith wasn't fully formed, and they didn't understand many things yet, but they knew who to run to, run towards Jesus, right? Now, here's, here's the last thing I'll, I'll finish up with. And um, sometimes we, we sit, and when I was younger, I used to think this. I used to think, well... I didn't do anything that bad. Why would somebody have to die for me? You know, because like before the age of three, when I accepted Jesus, I hadn't um, robbed any banks. You know, I hadn't killed anybody by the age of three. Um, I also hadn't stolen many things, maybe some treats, but I don't really remember that. But like, I, I don't remember big sins, right? Um, you know, maybe gluttony, I don't know, right? So at the age of three, I didn't understand why somebody needed to die for me. But then the Bible explains it to me, especially in the book of Leviticus and Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, it says that there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. So even if I pondered something in my heart with which Jesus told me, you know, he says, listen, even if you ponder, or even if you think, and I already told you, I'm, I'm um, guilty of this, right? Where it says, even if you call your brother a fool, you're liable for murder. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I did more than call him a fool. I murdered them in my mind, <laughs> you know? And the Lord's like, even if you did that, you're a murderer, right? So... I'm already guilty. I'm guilty 10 times, 20 times, 100 times over, right? So then we see in Romans 8, and I'll read you Romans 8 through 16. So, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So, so we're told that the law was given to us as a school teacher to teach us that we need a savior. I can't keep the rules. And if you think you could keep the rules, then you're liable for arrogance before the Lord. You know, the Lord told us that we mess up and we're told in scripture that if we say we have no sin, we are making God out to be a liar. And we are liars ourselves. So the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow his spirit. So it tells us three things in there that the law doesn't have over us. So it, it was a, uh, it was, um, you know, like something happened in there through Jesus dying and him rising again, something legal happened, Right? The law condemned us, but then Jesus performed the law perfectly for us. And that's why I would go on to tell you, that's why Jesus Christ is divine. He is God. Why? Because it all sits in the blood, right? The currency that needed to be paid was human blood. So Jesus Christ came and he was made flesh so that he would have the correct currency. If you travel a lot, you'll know what I mean, right? So when we travel out of Britain, tomorrow I fly to San Francisco, like, like for real. Tomorrow I get on a plane and I fly to San Francisco. In San Francisco, British pounds are a novelty, not a currency, okay? I can try to give them as many British pounds as I have in my pocket I cannot buy Coca-Cola, okay? I can't buy a sandwich. They want me to transfer it into the correct currency, which right now is U.S. dollars, all right? U.S. dollars in, in San Francisco. Jesus Christ needed to pay our debt for the whole world, so his blood, the blood that was going to be taken for the currency, had to be the correct currency, it had to be eternal currency because it couldn't just buy one for one, one life for one life. It had to be a life that was greater than our life, an infinite life. And it had to be pure, no debt on it, right? So Jesus Christ is the only person in all of creation and uncreated things that fits that bill, right? That's why Jesus Christ is God. He is divine in nature because his blood needs to pay for the whole world. His blood needs to be clean and pure, the spotless lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. His blood needs to be man's blood. That's why he was made flesh, incarnate for us. 
So the law, because Jesus transacted this legal thing, right? The law can't claim you when you're in Christ. It can't claim you anymore because all the requirements have been passed. It's done. The law can't condemn you anymore. There's conviction. There's definitely conviction when I've done something wrong. I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit that I've done something wrong and I have to go make it right. And like it says in 1 John 1, 9, I go to Jesus and I say, Jesus, I've sinned against you. Forgive me. I repent of what I've done. I want to walk with you. Wipe me clean. Forgive me. Right? And the law, it can't control me anymore. What did uh, Paul say about what the Holy Spirit grows in our lives? He says it grows love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he finishes it off by saying, against these things, there is no law. There's no law. Stop, stop. You're loving everybody too much. You know, you're going to be put in prison. You've loved everybody too much. You've been too humble. You know? I mean, there's no law against those things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit that the Lord, the Lord Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, grows in us. So we should live in victory because he lives and he was victorious over sin. And when we don't fully understand everything, run to Jesus. And even when bad things are happening, know that Jesus, that God is working all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen? Amen. Jesus lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just praise you and I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that we could just look at a little snippet of your word. Lord, and we can be encouraged. Lord, we love you. Lord, help us as we don't understand everything, help us to run to you. Help us to know that you are in control, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the Prince of peace. And Lord, even as we're growing in you, Lord, that we would continue to run to you. And Lord, that we would know that sin has no hold on us anymore. Lord, we may fail, but we're not in bondage. We can run right back to you and say, Lord, help me. I don't want to fail like that anymore. That we can repent and walk with you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name.